When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, everybody, and great to have you on board for another episode of the show, brought to you by our great friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Today, we're speaking to an Australian Paralympian and a gold medalist, but stopping there would be to cut Elle Steele enormously short, given she has achieved so much in so many facets of her life, in fact, a lot of them well away from the sporting sphere. A self-described soul and alignment coach, Elle now devotes her professional life to helping others zero in on what makes them happy. And as we embark on another Tobin Brothers Say It Now week, it's a great pleasure to welcome Elle to the program. Elle, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. What an um, introduction. And that's probably the best ever. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, probably all downhill from here. No, hopefully we can maintain the rage. Actually, just before we get into it, Elle, um, what is Say It Now Week all about? And, and what does it seek to raise awareness around? Because I think it's in year number seven now, is it not? Yeah. So Say It Now Week, it was so special for them, for Tobin Brothers to reach out to me. It's about saying how you feel to the people that are special to you now instead of waiting for when they're not here or that inevitably they're here but they aren't cognitively here or whatever and you never express how you really felt about them and so it was a really beautiful experience for me because I mean my family's really close we tell each other how we feel all the time but I'd never really spoken to the powerful women in my life and said how grateful I was to them so yeah mine focuses on the powerful, beautiful friendships I have. And while I'm on the subject of asking what things are and, and what they mean, your website describes you as a psychic coach who weaves intuition and energy healing with coaching and mentoring. So what's a psychic coach? What's energy healing? It sounds magnificent, but what's it all about? So I'm psychic and I'm psychic from birth. So that means that there's like old school psychics where you um, – yeah. see people you know kind of predicting people's lives I'm that's not me um, I have the skill to tap into people's energies and their feelings um, I also have a connection to what we call source or the divine energy of the universe um, which sounds kind of wacky but it means that I can get messages from this all-knowing knowledge then I can channel it through me and tell the people what it is that they're seeking so that could be we, we call it deity. So it could be angels, aliens, um, people that have passed over, any of that kind of stuff. So it, it is pretty magical and left of field. And, and I can absolutely understand that some people think it's complete woo-woo and um, not real. But for me, it's been always really powerful and yeah. real for me. Yeah, yeah. And the other description is, and I like this one a lot, a self-belief agent. 
Thank you. <laughs> I like that. And that says probably everything. I can understand that one. And that's what you're all about. And we will circle back to that. In another life, you're a Paralympian who competed in the pool, did you not? You're in the water for Sydney 2000, which was just such a massive moment in the history of this country. And you yeah. were there competing. Yes, I was there. I was 17. I don't think I could really conceptualize what that was, like how amazing it was. Um, but I swam the 400 freestyle. I broke a national record in my classification and um, oh, it was just, there were like 5,000 people in the stands, which is, you know, a little bit different now, but back in the day, that was like unheard of for mm. a Paralympic sport, for people to come and watch us. There were 100,000 people in the stands for the opening ceremony. It was just like nothing I'd ever experienced in Australia. You went from the pool and then you played, I, I admire this sport every time I see it, wheelchair rugby came after that. Now, this is not for the faint-hearted, Elle, is it not? No. Wheelchair rugby. I've had two knee replacements since. Goodness me. That's a tough sport. A wheelchair basketball's tough. Wheelchair rugby. Oh, yeah, but they don't touch each yeah. other. They're, they're like, Says we're, you. We're really tough. We smash into each other. It's like a car crash each time. Yeah. So for those unaware, what is your disability? What were what did you grow up uh, facing and what are you dealing with now? And can you perhaps let us in a little bit on, on what that's all about? Yeah, so I have a disability called arthrogryposis multiplex congenita, which is a fancy way of describing that I don't have a lot of cartilage between my joints or my major joints. Um, when I was born and diagnosed with arthrogryposis, they thought that it was in my hips, my knees and my ankles. But actually what we've discovered is that it's pretty much everywhere in my body as I've got older. Um I use a wheelchair now pretty much permanently to get around. But when I was younger, I could walk and... Um, mm a little bit wobbly, but I've had 35 surgeries or corrective surgeries to fix different things like quad muscle lengthening, had both my knees replaced, had both my ankles kind of put together and everything like that. Um, and I'm about to go and have my ankle fused again in June. That'll be number 36. And I also have a hand abnormality too, which is a separate disability. So mm. a piece of skin wrapped around my hand and held it there while I was in the womb. And then a couple of weeks after I was born, they cut the skin off and opened it up and these two fingers are missing because of they, they, they were covered. So they never grew. So um, I don't, I'm lucky I'm right-handed. I don't really have to use my left hand. It doesn't really have much kind of um, grip or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, I mean, is the pain, I had the best way to, is the pain constant for you? I mean, is it yeah. at that yeah. level? Yeah. Especially now. So growing up and I mean, I started swimming for therapy um, and it was that beautiful weightlessness that was really, yeah. um, oh, was so good for me. Um, but then when you're swimming so many Ks in the water, then that begins to put pressure on the joints that are not kind of, um, the right shape in, for lack of a better term. So mm. my first major injury was my, my left shoulder, um, which I began to pull the bicep off just from repetitive, um, strain. And that was kind of the thing that basically ended my swimming career. I, I ended up ripping it completely off. But with my body, nothing really comes up on the scans. So it looks all normal or normal-ish, like for my body on the scans until mm. they go in there and they're like, oh, actually, your bicep's no longer attached or your, I had an injury in my wrist a couple of years ago. Your ligament on your wrist has actually popped completely off. And, the, you know, I'll be complaining for, you know, four or five years about pain and then eventually they kind of go in and fix it. Yeah. So yeah, arthrogryposis is, it's a, it's arthritic by nature. So it's quite a painful disability. 
I do love though, while we're on the subject of things that I love about your website, which by the way is imsteel.com, is the hashtag that you roll with, babe with a mobility aid. That is magnificent. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that is good. Did you come up with that yourself? No, I didn't. It's already right. on Instagram. Oh, okay. There's, right. there's lots of babes with mobility aids for sure. <laughs> yeah, I like it. How? Tell me though, how does... Now, you've you've had a lifetime of, I guess, visibility on this. How does modern society view people with a disability, do you think? Are, are we getting better at perhaps not pitting, but perhaps understanding? Oh, I think some people are. I think it's still got a really long way to go. I did a TED Talk in September basically on this topic right. in September last year. Um, and it was around when you have a disability – Sometimes you have to, in order to get assistance from medical professionals or the government, you more often than not have to re-traumatize yourself with the stories or make it sound that you're out that out that your life is really terrible. When my life is amazing, I've got an incredible life, but my disability is annoying and it has things that need to be looked after in order for me to level out the playing field of life, so I so I can live like life like everyone else. I still think that people, able-bodied people, and this is a generalisation, but a lot of people see us as not able to live up to expectations or to have, um, be able to hold up careers or be the same in some kind of way. But none of the people with disabilities I know feel bad about their disability. We don't feel sad that we're disabled um, most of us are incredible business owners and really innovative. When you have a disability, you have to be so innovative. You have to work out things, um, you know, where you're going to be and, you know, little things about your disability all the time. Um, and that that brain power and those abilities cross over into your career. So you don't have to train a person with a disability to be innovative. Um, you know, I think it's we have such powerful ways of looking at the world and if people could see that, that was what we were about more than what we what we couldn't do. Then mm. there'd be a lot of change. Yeah, I, I suppose the bare fact is that the fact is that able-bodied people can't possibly know, can they? But we can try to educate ourselves, and we can uh, and others as well, which is obviously where, where yeah. you spend a lot of your working space. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I did a talk um, last week to a hospital about the social model and the medical model of disability. You know, the social model is, and that's what I live by, is that my disability is not the problem, but that the problem in terms of access and ableism is that people keep on building stairs everywhere. That's what makes my life harder. But the medical model of disability is that the disability and the person with the disability is the problem and no one else has to change. But then that just keeps us trapped in our houses and unable to participate fully in society. So um, I, I hope that people are beginning to see that actually our world and how it's not built for us is the problem that we're not. Mm. We're, we're amazing, fully thriving people in our lives. There's another thing I can't understand, though, and that's Brussels sprouts. I mean, how that can be your favourite vegetable has got me absolutely stumped. In all the research for this chat, Elle, I just couldn't quite reconcile with that. I love Brussels so much. Just, <laughs> oh, like, you know what? They say that if you overcook them, that's when they taste bad. You need to know how to really cook a good Brussels sprouts. And I'm a vego, so I don't even add bacon. Right. So just a really quick, really quick sear. Yeah, Is that what we're talking yeah. Yeah, you just kind of in the pan with a bit of oil or butter if you want, garlic, salt, pepper, don't cook for too long. Also delicious with hummus and honey. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, you might I have won me over. I'll get, I'll get a couple of recipes off you before so this. Raw is a slaw. 
okay. I'll get a few recipe oddies off you before our, our time is up. Hey, you're listening to This Is Your Journey. It's great to have your company. It's made possible by Tobin Brothers, a family-owned business since 1934. So, Elle, if you don't mind, we might go back to go forward. After this break, let's uh, let's retrace Elle Steele's path to the pool. That's up next. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, fantastic to have your company on This Is Your Journey, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Paralympic swimmer turned life coach and mentor Elle Steele is with us for Say It Now Week. Elle, let's go back. I know you're in a beautiful part of the world at the moment, but where was home as a kid for you? Brunswick. I lived in Brunswick for 38 years. Um, Yep, we were regulars down Sydney Road, Golden Terrace, which is no longer there, an amazing Turkish restaurant, Tibbers. Tarlit Thai, all these amazing places we used to go. Um, we were the cool people in Brunswick before the cool people came. Right, okay. And what was what are your memories of childhood? What was it like for you individually? Oh, beautiful. I've got a um I've got two sisters. I've got an older sister, Meg, who is an incredible uh doctor of music, and a younger sister, Bridgie, who is a preppy teacher or primary school teacher. Yep. Um, really happy childhood with mum and dad. Like the focus probably was um, holidays. Uh, we've got, we have, we're lucky enough to holiday in Anglesey and in, in Southeast Gippsland at a place that was my dad's family's holiday house, which was really remote. You could only get in by boat. So lots of time spent down there and, and just enjoying life and enjoying each other's company because there was times when things were not so good and happy with health and disability in a family. And that can really play a toll on, you know, particularly um, my sisters who don't have disabilities. And so that was kind of hard for them to live with and, you know, still in some ways is difficult for them. But um, I think we, 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 we kind of created a pretty good balance there. And I think that underlying everything is, this radical self-acceptance of each other and, and love underpins all of it, even if sometimes you don't understand why things happen. Never a dull moment with three girls, I'd imagine. Did you have a nickname? Did I read somewhere you had a nickname for your two sisters? That given, as you say, they're able-bodied. Did you have a nickname for them? Oh, well, we call able-bodies ABs. Right. I thought it was muggles. Did I read muggles somewhere? Oh, muggles. Got yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's people are not into spirituality. <laughs> right, okay. Well, fair yeah, enough, yeah. of course. Hey, so, you know, without the life lessons you've got now, I guess without the level of maturity you've got now, without the experiences of your situation you've got now, how did you as an adolescent come to terms with your disability and that on that journey of discovery, if you like? How difficult was that? Oh, I was just like living my life. I was a Paralympian, man. Like I, like I was traveling around the world. But before all that, before, oh, before that. yeah, um, before the pool, before the pool, I was really angry. Before the, before I realized I was good at something, I was an angry kid who didn't understand why her body was different to everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and would absolutely lash out at my 
um, at people who, you know, my loved ones, because as a little kid, I didn't really understand how to articulate how I was feeling. And I think now I look back, I'm like, oh, I would have been in so much pain, but I wouldn't have known how to articulate the fact that I'm in pain. Sometimes my, my pain actually gets so bad that I won't know that I'm in pain until I take pain relief. And then I'm like, oh, I feel better now. Yeah. So, you know, like I think as a kid, I didn't really know how to manage that. And that was, that was hard. Um, but yeah, when I, when I realized that I had something good that was just for me and I was good at swimming, then my life kind of began to change and my relationships changed as well because it wasn't, there was a bit of focus on the good parts. Yeah. And that's why I take you back there because we often hear, you know, sport and disability, the former can be such a powerful force for the latter in dealing with things and giving you purpose, I suppose. And was that very much the case of you? It's like, oh, hang on. I can be excellent at something. In fact, I can be among the best in the world at something. And here's a sense of purpose that can be just for me and something I can own. Totally. And, you know, because I wasn't like an amazing student. I wasn't bad, but I just don't. My my personality is one to kind of go, but why do I need to know that? So I be able to be able to focus on something like times and being the best in the world. And, you know, I decided that um, 12 years old that I was going to the Paralympics and, you know, I was going to win a gold medal for my country, whether it be at the Paralympics or in another competition. And I just, I made that decision without any kind of inhibition. And, um, you know, I use that kind of in my career now is this idea of when you, when you choose and make a decision and decide on something without any limitation, it's really powerful. So, so much of what I learned as a kid has helped me now so the pool and i know your relationship with the water is special to you and you live close by and it's a part of your day-to-day life now but how did your relationship with swimming and when did it first start um i had swimming lessons at ascot vale swimming pool when i was a um about you know kind of five to eight ish um and i remember the lessons because the teacher used to get us to do races at the end and i would always beat the able-bodied kids in my class and I remember those races and my first national um, racing experience was when I was 11 years old at the G National Wheelchair Games. I won five gold, three silver and two bronze medals. And I ranked myself in the top 10, 15 in the world for the 50 and the 100 freestyle. So how pa- like, oh, I'm good at this. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna, how powerful can this be for a teenager in, in your position? I can't imagine if it just changed your whole, is it an exaggeration to say just change your whole outlook on life? Changed my whole life, my whole life. So did yeah. you progress through the ranks quickly? Were you, you obviously you did. If if you're at the Paralympics I, at seventeen, I did. I um, I made the team. Well, I I ranked myself pretty highly. Then then there was a bit of an issue, which is funnily enough, a little bit of a kind of theme for my career. Where the week of the World Trials, I was uh, I think I must have been thirteen or fourteen. I was ranked in the top kind of seven in the world they reclassified me and I dropped down to the top 20 in the world. So I was automatically, there was no chance I was going to make the Aussie team. So that was my first kind of experience of the politicalness of disability sport. Classification is really political. And what what basically that means is that every person, when they come into a competitive disability sport is classified into a category about of how disabled they are. So I went from an S7 to an S8, I went up um, and there's still, continual conversations even though I've been retired for a very long time about that particular incident and how it was managed um, and the fact that it was managed really badly um, 
I, I, in, in some ways I was penalized because I was getting fitter, but my disability wasn't getting better. So I probably should have stayed in that classification, but you know, you can, you can talk about these things and worry about these things. The conversation I had with my coach afterwards was, can I still be the best in the world? And she said, you can be the best in the world in any classification if you believe in yourself. So mm. I just kind of stuck and held on to that. Elle Steele, she's Sydney bound for the 2000 Paralympics. That's up next on This Is Your Journey. All thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Life. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. Today's guest is the self-belief agent. I love that, Elle Steele. So Elle, Sydney 2000, I mean, it's 23 years ago now, but how readily does it come to mind? Are the memories still vivid for you? Uh, some are, some are, I think it was a bit of a blur and I, and I, I don't know whether I really could like, as a 17 year old, I don't know whether I really conceptualized how amazing it was. I, I mean, I know that it definitely took me a long time to realize that it was amazing because the coaches are basically telling you the whole time that it's just another competition because I don't want you to get nervous. Mm. So, you know, then the, the minds, the mind is so powerful. So if you think it's just like a normal state competition, so that you just focus on the pool instead of the fact that there's 5,000 people in the stands coming out of it. It takes you a long time to really think about what you've achieved and, and how you got there and how, and, and, and also, you know, being one of 53 people that were on the swimming team, which just is amazing to me. Like, yeah, it, it took me a long time to realize that that was a really proud moment. Well, you would have had a lot going on. So you're 17, you would have been completing, I imagine, VCE at the time. And was it the 400-meter freestyle? Was that the event? 400 free. 400 and 800 were my favorites. Um, for, but 800 is not a Paralympic event. Right. So 400 in the SA classification, as you said. How did you get on? Um, I came 12th and I broke a national record. I came sixth in my heat. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And you were captain of the team over many years too, weren't you? The swim team? I was from um, around like 2002 to 2004. What a career high to get to the Paralympics is amazing. And but we, we touched on injuries and, and, and over the course of your life, when did they start to intervene as far as swimming was concerned? Because the shoulder became a bit of a problem, didn't it? Yeah. So after um, probably the catalyst in my swimming career was um, the trials for the 2004 Athens team, swimming team. I had um, come back from Korea. I changed swimming clubs and was had a new coach and was training and, and, and really swimming some really good times, which is really quite unheard of it later in your career to be dropping the seconds, um, like well, large amounts of time off your race. And my shoulder just started to hurt. And um, I got to the point where I could hardly swim any Ks at all. And I've been swimming a lot. Like I love overload. I, I'm an endurance athlete. Even now, if I could go when, if I could go for a swim, I'd love to swim like seven K session. That would just be so good. It's so good for the mind as well. But, my, you know, my body can't take that. Um, so, yeah, my, my, my Athens 2004 trials race, my bathers split um, halfway down. Uh, of the first 50 
uh, all the way down the back and I had to keep on swimming and I missed that on the team by 0.03 of a second. And that was kind of, whether it was emotional or physical, I don't know, but that was the beginning of the shoulder kind of injuries for around that time. Yeah. So sadly the beginning of the end in many ways once that, yeah. 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 So I continued to swim for a couple more years, but I, I was not making times at that stage. Yeah. So as we touched on, then you go into a really meek and mild sport like wheelchair rugby. I mean, what were you thinking here? I mean, in fact, you might've only been the only woman in Australia to play it at the time. Is that right? at the time yeah goodness me so you, you get into that what was that like well not having any brothers I didn't know what it was like to travel around Australia with 14 men um so that was pretty crazy and fun oh, fun good okay <laughs> but no they eat your food I've got quite skinny. um <laughs> it was amazing it was so amazing god but playing rugby was one of the best decisions I ever did because I was when I retired from swimming I, I wasn't it wasn't because I wanted to, to retire it was because my body wouldn't let me do it anymore and so I, I really suffered suffered with identity crisis and and a lot of really low depressive moments afterwards there was not a lot of support in back in the day for athletes then or particularly Paralympic athletes and so I kind of had to just forge my way through and one of my beautiful friends, Bryce Orman, who is retired from rugby now, but we went to Sydney together and he was a VIS athlete with me, a Victorian Institute of Sport athlete. And he said, come and watch us play. And he basically already had the back of his mind that he knew that I probably was going to be classifiable because of what my disability was. And so I just started playing on Friday nights with the boys locally at, well, well not locally to me, but um, in Surrey Hills. And it was like, it was so amazing. And I just, it was so good for my confidence. Mm. It was so good for my body to be still playing sport because I didn't want to finish being active like that. Um, and I then made the, made the state team and got to travel around nationally and go all around Australia with the boys. It was so good, like so, so fun. Yeah, what a great second chapter, your sporting journey. That's that's yeah. awesome. And, and so just coming back to what you were saying about appreciating what you did, particularly in the pool, I mean, why do you think it took so long? And did I read somewhere where it didn't really hit you sort of until some two decades later, so only recently that... Oh, heck, I went to the Olympics as a 17-year-old and look at what I was able to achieve over the course of my swimming career. It didn't hit me until the 20-year celebration of how mentally challenging it was, but also how incredible I am and was to be able to handle that kind of pressure and to dedicate myself to a goal so young. You know, I made the choice. I remember the. I remember where I, I was standing on that veranda at our holiday house when I was twelve, and I, you know, I don't know who people, other people would do this, but I talk to myself all the time, and I was talking to myself, and I said, "L, you're going to go to the Sydney 2000 Paralympics," and I thought in the hundred freestyle, but then that was before I had started training for the four hundred and fallen in love with it. Um, you know, I it you don't really because you're so deeply in it you yeah. just I just really like swimming but then I realized that people don't like swimming that much and that other people also were not as fast <laughs> and you know that that when I and I think back now I when I look at I go for a swim and I look at someone in the pool I can pinpoint within seconds what is wrong with their body and how to fix their stroke it's it's a I'm a, I'm a natural at it. It's something that's in me. So it was just, 
to sit back and kind of look at all the the 20 year celebration was during COVID too so we couldn't actually have a proper um, reunion like we were going to at Sydney Olympic Park but all the posts on social media was was really cathartic to 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 read and then you know giving ourselves chance a chance to be able to write big posts about how we had felt was really um incredible to it was kind of you know this kind of healing thing to help me realize that what I'd done was really incredible thing at such a young age because I suppose in old school speak this is called stopping to smell the roses isn't it like and I think you talk around the ability of standing in your power and and sitting within yourself so how important is this part of your discussion with your clients do you spend a lot of time talking about this side of things yes because you we talk a lot about where you want to go and in order to where you want, you know, if you know where you want to go, you know, the steps to take that to take you to get there. But we talk a lot about the fact that so many people don't even try to do any personal development. They're more than happy just to go to school, go to uni, get a nine to five um, and be frustrated in their lives and, and never try and analyze as to why they believe what they believe or why they feel like what they feel. And people who, self-aware enough or willing to be self-aware enough to realize that sometimes they might be the toxic reason as to why things are not working in their lives is really profound and amazing because people are too scared to find out those different parts about themselves so uh, we're always celebrating this I love celebrating with my clients because it gives them uh something to hold on to yeah I mean I, yeah. I don't know if you think if it speaks a bit to the fact that life is just so darn fast now like I know in everyday yeah. life I know it's like this in our house we were talking about it the other day in fact is that we're we're, we're often rolling on to what needs to be nudged next you know you tick the box right what's the next thing it's the, it's the never-ending checklist and we don't probably live enough in the moment and celebrate in many cases the here and now when it comes to our achievements yeah absolutely and I think that you know, I, I think that disability has given me great um, skills in sitting back and really thinking about where I am in my life and what, what's next and will I be able to, you know, I don't know what, what my body is going to be like in two years' time, let alone 10 years' time. And so making sure that I'm really living my life to the most joyful joy that I can because life goes quickly but also things change really quickly too when you miss out. So it's really important to be grateful for what you have in the moment. We're talking to the inspiring Elle Steele on This Is Your Journey. It's all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We'll be right back with Elle after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. And our guest today is the Paralympian swimmer, Elle Steele. So, Elle, earlier we were discussing how one can find purpose from, from sport, almost a sense of you know self-worth from sport. But when it ends, like it did with you in the pool and then with the wheelchair rugby, is it hard to deal with that? And was it hard to deal with for you and to adjust? Yeah, particularly when I retired from swimming. So I, I retired because I had lots of pain in the injury and, and, you know, there were other kind of changes within my body that were beginning to happen. 
um and i and i had depression and anxiety for many years after that and but that also funnily enough was the beginning of me wanting to delve more into my spiritual self and and you know into my intuition and and though that kind of side of me um at the end of my swimming career I went to all these western medicine doctors and they told me that the pain in my shoulder was in my head so I actually went to a spiritual healer and that was what began my whole career now so the the healer told me that um, I had a lot of obviously emotional um, baggage and stuff in the shoulder and we healed it and we worked through that and then she became one of my mentors later on then we found out that the bicep was not attached anymore um, but it it was just this I didn't feel like I had anyone to talk to because I a lot of the swimmers that were coming up through the ranks who are my mates were at the beautiful peak of their career and so talking to them about the peak of their career and the end of mine was too close to home and so it was it was difficult in that sense but I'm also really grateful because it was the beginning of my business it was mm. the beginning of me realizing that um, I didn't want people to feel how I was feeling and basically that was the the why I started business I wanted to be able to help people to to sift through like emotional pain to to live a you know live more purposefully you know to live a life that makes them feel good about themselves and, and good about helping other people being a force for good in the world and just within that transition is it something of realizing over time perhaps that sport doesn't necessarily define you either that it, it it's okay it's part of who you are but not all of who you are totally and it's so interesting because sometimes people just focus on the athlete but I am so far from an athlete now like <laughs> I'm not I I have I have elements of the athlete in me and I can switch into being the athlete mindset and all that kind of stuff but I couldn't think of anything worse than getting up at 4 30 in the morning and go for a swim that sounds horrific yeah <laughs> um, I agree with that yeah yeah so yeah I I'm really glad that I I found something else in my life that was just as beautiful and potent to me as swimming was. And, you know, I feel like I've had a couple of different lives in one life. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I can see that. And you're, what you're doing now um, has so many different directions and strands that you take it. But would you say that at its core, it's about, you know, in your work with the people that you work with, getting them to discover how they want to feel every day. I think I, I read this somewhere around you. And then once you find that, what creates that feeling and then following that feeling? Yeah, absolutely. And because what we sometimes get confused is that we look at a goal and we go, all right, well, my goal is that I want to buy a new couch or buy a new car or mm. get a new career and, and get a new job. But we don't real when we get the new job or the new car or the new couch, we, we still feel the same. So we don't realize that actually if we follow the feeling, then that will actually tell us what it is that we want to have and achieve in our life. So for me, you know, if I want to, um, if I know I want to feel better about myself, it might not necessarily be about the material item and it might actually be about journaling every day for 10 days and actually asking myself why I feel the way I'm feeling at the moment. Mm. Um, and so much of it comes back to, if we're brave enough to believe in ourselves and give ourselves permission to actually go into those moments of self-discovery. And so that's why I talk about so much about self-belief because I believe it's a real foundation and at, at our core. If we believe in ourselves, we can really springboard off that into anything. 
So every day, well, not every day, but maybe most days, you, you're really, you're almost freeing people, aren't you? I mean, trying to get people to unlock that freedom in their lives and their existences, like, you must take enormous satisfaction from that. I love it. I, as I said before, we jumped on here. I just had a beautiful call with my um, my BEAMS babes. They're my mentor students. They're, um, BEAMS stands for Babes Educating and Mentoring Self-Belief. <laughs> and they're, they're, they're training to be mentors in my self-belief club. You said something once, I'm not sure how long ago this, uh, how, how far back we go here, but it really resonated me when I was reading up on you. And the quote is, the relationship you have with yourself is the longest, so you may as well nurture it. That makes yeah. a frightening amount of common sense, doesn't it? And yet here I am thinking, oh, I've never thought of it like that before. God, I say some profound things, don't I? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, what's the thinking behind? It sounds well, obvious, but at it, at its core, I mean, it's something that most people I would I would uh, say don't stop to consider. You know, I, th- I spent so many years hating myself and hating my body and listening to the world around me saying that disability was bad and that you were unlovable or that you couldn't achieve great things if your body was like this. And I just made the decision that I wasn't going to listen to any of that because I wanted to live a life that was connected to who I was as a person, not what everyone, the external, all the external people were telling me who I was and I believe that if we can connect deeply to who we are and who we be in the world and love who that is that's the most important thing like that's the longest relationship you're going to have is with you so every other relationship might break down but if you don't love who you are then the person that you're hurting is you and then your life is painful so why would you do that to yourself? You're, you, you're always like, you're trying your best. I think sometimes we forget that we still have a little child inside us that is wanting validation from things, but we're, we're sometimes seeking validation from outside ourselves still as adults. Mm. What if we could give it to ourselves all the time? But people struggling on this front who might be listening at the moment might be thinking, that's all great, but this very much fits into the easier said than done basket. But totally. but it, people are also listening might be thinking, well, I'm thinking of a big picture like this when I imagine you would encourage them to start. This is a process and a, and a journey Absolutely of sorts. process, yeah. And it's about accepting maybe one thing about yourself. Like one of the activities I get my clients to do when they first come to see me is stand in front of the mirror naked. And just look at yourself. Or if that if that feels like too much, maybe just standing in front of the mirror in the bathroom and just looking into your eyes. You don't have to say anything, but just looking and looking at the little crevices of your face or looking at whether you are breathing properly or, you know, are you looking at yourself and you're short of breath or you're holding your breath? Or maybe, you know, it's just about starting to relax your breathing so that you're not scared to look at who you are. Um, we go through life so much just focusing on the outside stuff and what we have to do but we forget that the most important thing i believe is that if you could let yourself be who you are and just relax into the being and it just heals so much i've been distracted by the beautiful background all chat to be honest where do we find you at the moment l where are you in in the world i'm in anglesey in victoria it's um i always wanted to live here and I just made the decision post uh, lockdown that I was going to do it. So I did. 
So your local beach, and I'm very jealous of this, would be Point Road Night, one of the great beaches. The water is beautiful down there. So we've spent a lot of the chat talking about your relationship with the water. Is it something that you're still able to, I guess, find relief in and around physically as well as mentally? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm lucky enough to have a beautiful support care worker, Lisa, who helps me in for a swim, as well as my mum and dad live here as well. Um, and it looks like we're doing the salsa into the water because they have to walk backwards. But yeah, that's how we kind of get in <laughs> past the waves. So sometimes it's not as graceful for me as it is for everyone else. But once I'm in, I'm fine. I'll, I If I could swim every day, I would. Last year, we actually swam right up into the end of May in winter in the mornings. It was bloody freezing, but it was amazing. <laughs> and hey, again, just on the subject of taking things for granted as an able-bodied person, I mean, what's the accessibility like at these big at a big beach like Point Road Night for for you? Um, it's pretty bad. the The allocated accessible car park at the moment is on sand, so you have to push your wheelchair through that. But I don't even bother parking there. I park in um, what is currently a no standing zone because it's the only spot that I can independently go to the beach in. And then I have to push myself down a really eroded boat ramp um, and then leave my wheelchair on the boat ramp and walk in and hope that the tide doesn't come in and wash my wheelchair away. (laughs) Well, is this going to change? Um, It is changing thanks to some amazing, powerful conversations I had with Gore Kappa, which is the Great Ocean Roads Park Authority. Um, We won a grant for, I think it was close to a million dollars last year to make the beaches on the surf coast accessible so we can get the blue matting, the car parks and all that kind of stuff because... It's so important that if you, you know, we talk about inclusive communities, it's not just for elderly people or for other um, diverse parts of the community, but, you know, if people with disabilities can't get to the beach or get to where they want to, it's it's not inclusive, is it? So, yeah, that's the next big project. Now, just the last one on the water. I don't know if you were pulling our collective legs with this comment, but is it true that uh, so in love with it are you that you have or had at some point in time a recording, a recorded sound of pool filters at home to help you sleep? I absolutely do that. Still? Yes. <laughs> wow, that's hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> There's a three-hour video on YouTube. <laughs> oh, my Lord. I'm all for I'm all for waterfalls or you know trickling water or ponds or whatever, but pool filters. I love the pool filter sound, and I love chlorine. Like I went and did a talk um, the other day at a hospital, as I mentioned, and I I could smell. They'd obviously just been cleaning the bathroom, and it smelled like chlorine. And I was like, oh, this is to die for. Now, for people who have uh, who have listened this morning, and and this has resonated with them, perhaps not so much the pool filters, but the other things you've had to say today. Would you encourage them to go to your website, which is imlsteel.com, which is yeah, an amazing absolutely. website, by the way. And I'm playing regularly on Instagram, which is the same, at imlsteel. L, thanks so much for joining us today. I mean, I feel like, almost feel like congratulating you for doing what you're doing because it is having such a profound impact on people. Yours is such a powerful journey of discovery from, I guess, healing your heart and the lessons behind that to sharing that wisdom with others. And that's, of course, all after what you achieved in the pool. So, Big love for sharing everything you've done, everything you are doing, and thanks again for sharing it all with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to chat. And thank you for listening also. That was L Steele. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. You can jump online there at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey.